I'm Ra Key and this is the My Small Business Life podcast. Every week we talk to small businesses from a diverse range of backgrounds to understand what it's really like to be your own boss. From startups to scale-ups, if you work in a small business or are thinking of starting one, we will be sharing our insights and advice about the realities of working for yourself. This week, I'm speaking to Gareth Shelton, co-founder of Pop-Up Painting, who hosts paint and wine art events, a concept imported from the USA where professional artists guide you through how to recreate well-known works of art. Hi, Gareth. Hi, Rocky. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us for the My Small Business Live podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. We're talking in, I don't want to overuse the word unprecedented times, but they really are unprecedented. And we are going to be obviously talking about how the lockdown has affected your business pop-up painting. But just this week, we have seen an increasing number of protests around the world due to the brutal death of George Floyd in the USA. So I wanted to start there, if that's okay with you, Uh and just maybe get your view on what's been happening around the world in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm, Okay, that's a really good place to start. Um, I think, um, I think, you know, it's obviously horrific. And I think the the right to protest and I think this is a really interesting debate that started um I think the right to protest has to be completely sacrosanct and I think that's one of the interesting divisions that we've seen um over the last few months with lockdown the sort of the division especially within progressive groups of sort of public health technocrats and actual liberals and I think this really highlights it um so I think you know I think you know the the protests are important and the wider movement is really important and i think you know it it should go without saying that black lives matter um and i think what we've seen this sort of demonization of protest is a really chilling thing um but i and i suppose i can say this from a position of relative privilege um i'm hopeful that there is a wider recognition of the problem and that i think there are people uh, white people who feel like they have to do something now. Um, I think yeah. it's been really easy to be a complete bystander, but I've been encouraged by the number of people who I've never heard say anything about race. Now talk about it and actually say, well, I've just donated to a bail fund for the first time. You know, people that you wouldn't expect it to uh, to have yeah. done so. So I'm I'm optimistic that things are going in the right direction, even from a terrible starting point. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think. I've quite experienced so many people calling me up, asking me questions, trying to understand from a white person's perspective what they, how they make sense of this and what they can now do. Some of those conversations are quite tiring and exhausting if you're a person of colour, I have to say, but we just have to make the time and use up the energy if something really positive is going to come out of this. I'd be interested, I know that in pop-up painting, you've always tried to promote diversity um, 
within what you're doing but can you maybe just tell us a bit more about it yeah so so there's a huge representation problem in the arts and in the creative industries and one of the things that i was shocked to learn i think i don't know four years ago was um in the national galleries collection which has like twenty three thousand pieces there are only about 21 by women i don't know if that's figure i, I checked that recently and the figure is around that still yeah. um it's a real huge representation gap and i think there's been more movement on gender representation than there has been racial representation i think um and i understand that you know commissioning art and shipping it is it doesn't all happen overnight it's complex but i think one of the things that people have been passive about is what they can actually do so one of the things that we agreed when we started doing our artist of the week feature which isn't it's you know it doesn't have huge reach but i think the point i want to emphasize is that really small organizations can do something as well um sure. so we chose that when we did our artist of the week series that we would make sure that throughout you know every month or every quarter that it was gender balanced and not all white dead european men um, which I think, you know, and then this is a real problem in the arts. Um, if you try to name artists off the top of your head, you can think of Vincent van Gogh and Monet and Picasso. You know, you can think of just three white men from Europe. And there's a huge world of arts and creativity that is too easy to overlook. So we tried to do that years ago. And it's great to see that some big organisations now starting to think they maybe should do it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you said that although you're furloughed at the moment because of the lockdown measures, your team, who you use the word, um, you have radicalised, <laughs> working with them, have then taken the initiative to post about Black Lives Matter. How important yeah. do you think it is that businesses, and particularly small businesses, are shown to be involved in these types of movements? I think it's really important. Um, I think so. I was really pleased to see that people did that just off their own back. You know, I didn't have to direct it, and you know, I'm lucky to have a proactive team who who do care. But I think it's really important that all businesses, are, you know, I I think you know, I think you know, it's that the personal is the political, and you know, businesses are, are inherently political. Running a business is a, is a political act, and who you choose to employ and who you choose to associate with necessarily has you know social implications and so it is inherently political as well so i think businesses do have to they have to um they have to show up they have to you know say the right things they have to um they they do have to stand up for representation and for people's dignity but i think the more important burden and i think it's one that even businesses that are trying or starting to try probably are not at the threshold they should be they need to look properly also about you know actually how many people you know how many bme people are they employing and are they paid the same and what opportunities do they have for growth and development and i think it's really easy to put up a black square and putting up a black square might be an appropriate place to start sure. but i think you know doing good and actually providing a material platform for people is is more important and i know that businesses probably aren't as far as along as they should be on that no i completely agree thanks so much that's really insightful i think you're right running a business uh, devoid of political and social issues just isn't the way forward anymore um, let's talk more about pop-up painting because that's what we're really here to talk about today. Tell, 
tell us a bit more about how the concept of pop-up paint, painting has come into being. Okay, so um, what we do at Pop-Up Painting is we typically, outside of lockdown, uh, run painting and wine parties in bars and restaurants across the UK. And I think the really important thing to emphasise is that they're not art classes, they are paint parties. So we say that we're all about unleashing creativity, wine glass in one hand, paintbrush in the other. So that sort of sums up the spirit of it. So we've been running for seven years now and we were introduced to uh, the concept of, of social painting by a, a friend um, in America who said, you know, this is all the rage in America. Why don't you try it in the UK? Um, and what's been happening in America for, I think, about 10 or 12 years now is that there's this huge network of franchises and small businesses that are running these paint parties. So, you know, there are thousands of events right across every single state every month. So, you know, it's huge. Amazing. So we, we thought that there was an opportunity that we could bring our version of it to the UK as well. Um, so uh, we got started seven years ago. Um, and yeah, we were introduced to it by a friend, which doesn't feel like the most glamorous story. Like uh, one of the things that I've, I've found, and um, you know, there are lots of other people in the creative industries or in other small business, got a really powerful, moving story as to why they did it. And we just did it because we thought it was a good idea. <laughs> That's okay. You just actually only need a good idea, which That's I think is... Uh, <laughs> That in itself is good advice for people because maybe people are expecting some thunderbolt to hit, you know, but actually it literally just could be a good, a simple good yeah. idea. Yeah, and I think, so the way that we've approached it is that it's not about us, it is about the mission and the objectives and the, the benefits for the customer, um, which I think is actually difficult in this really hyper-personal marketing context that we're in where it's all about your story and actually it's not a brand it's a person yeah. and I think that's something we're a bit counter to um, and I know lots of businesses are like us and actually you know Apple isn't driven necessarily by you know the face of the directors it's driven by it's it's impersonal brand so I know that it is a route but I think it's something that especially in the creative industries or for very small businesses, people do put their founders front and centre, which isn't really our approach. Sure. I mean, the businesses that I coach, I will always, many of them, they are often small to medium-sized businesses. The problems that they encounter are that they're focusing on themselves a bit too much. And for some of them, it may have been years since they properly sought feedback from customers or the marketplace. Mm. Uh, and that's why they tend to be veering off track a bit. So I think as a, from an approach perspective, it's absolutely perfect. So you are ultimately a, a social kind of business, an events business, uh, a, a business that requires your customers to be in, in a yeah. <laughs> space together. So lockdown has obviously really affected you. How have things changed for you in that time? So, um, we are lucky in that, you know, we are able to survive, um, which actually at the beginning wasn't something to be taken for granted. Um, we're lucky that there's a furlough scheme in place for some of us. We're lucky that some self-employed support has kicked in, uh, which, you know, whilst not sufficient, perhaps, um, it's not as bad as when it first happened. Sure. Um, you know, so I'm, I recognise that this could have been many, many times worse. Um, but it has had a huge impact. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a finance director, fortunately. <laughs> um, but, you know, just from what I see, you know, our, 
everything has been hit enormously. Um, so I, I would say, I don't know, we must have lost seven eighths of what we would have otherwise been doing. And that's not a perfect figure, but just to give a sense, it's an enormous length. Yeah. And while we can move some stuff online, it's just not the same. And I think we're up against not just this immediate problem of, you know, not being able to run events, but the entire ecosystem we operated in has been massively destabilized and we yeah. can't predict how it will change in future. So it's not just damaging to right now, it's damaging to the future as well. So we are, I think we're a good team of problem solvers um, in our team. So we have thought about as many contingency scenarios as possible for when things start to reopen. So mm -hmm. yeah, we have got plans, um, but they need to be tested, obviously, and tested to destruction. Um, but what we have been able to do, so we've done two sort of online products. Yeah. So we did um, pop-up painting live, which were basically just free broadcasts um, where, you know, you tune in and you'd watch along on YouTube and you'd, you'd paint along with us. And actually for some people, it was just nice. And this is some feedback that we got from people. It was just nice to be able to join in with something actually. Yeah. And this is actually the thing that's the same about our painting, painting events in real life. The yeah. painting is completely secondary. The thing that makes it fun is that it's a social experience that you share with other people. Yeah. So that's that's one of the products. And the second one was our online parties, which weren't free. They're, they're behind um, a ticket, a, a paid ticket. Um, and they're really nice. I've enjoyed joining in with a couple of those because it's it is that interaction that I think people are missing. Yeah. And actually, it's nice having conversations with new people. And that's something that, you know, quizzes with your family every week actually doesn't give you. You, got, you can't meet new people. So that sort of shared interaction is what, what we've done. Um, but I think it would be, um, you know, uh, duplicitous almost not to mention that I think all online events now are facing a bit of online fatigue. Um, people are sick of quizzes every weekend. So yeah. we and, you know, people can go outside now much more. Fantastically yeah that's posed a problem for us as well um so uh, it's 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 not like lockdown is one consistent condition it's changing a lot whilst we're still in it as well so any small business faces a number of highs and lows lockdown is going to be probably the biggest challenge that most businesses are going to face what are the other things as a small business owner that you've seen since Pop up paintings inception that you think are worth sharing? Hmm, so like the challenges that we face. So I think there are a few things, and I think one of the challenges for me personally has been the especially for events, and I recognize a lot of people aren't in events, but is, is it the creative industries and events is a growing industry? Um it is very operationally heavy. Yeah. And that's not something that I think people appreciate. And I think that events typically has quite a low status. So, yeah. you know, if you tell, tell someone that you're a management consultant or a lawyer, I think people are like, oh my God, wow. If you tell people you work in events, I think they, they, that's not met with much, with, with teachers of the private sector, you know, <laughs> an important thing that someone needs to do, but not, not treated with much status uh, wrongly, I think. Um, so the status is something that I would warn people about to expect it and anticipate it and you know I, I know that when I tell people that 
I've done a master's degree, how they treat me changes rapidly during an event. So yeah, I, you see that firsthand. But I think also the challenge with such an operationally intensive business is that you lose a lot of space to think, which actually I think, and I know lots of small businesses, you know, if you're a really small team, actually the chance to think about what your strategic objectives are is something that's, you know, that space is, is uh, you know, few and far between, you know. So that's, that is a challenge that I would warn people against, that you need to manage your time in a way that you build that in. Um, what are the other challenges that I've come across? I mean, I think, I think for lots of people when they start out, there are lots of things that they really should know, but actually they just never did. So for instance, copyright, you know, for a, a really image heavy industry such as you know painting events you know image heavy stuff um completely clueless on copyright when we started yeah and luckily we didn't get in loads of trouble but we probably should have um <laughs> so you know it wasn't until i don't know two or three years in that actually i did a proper copyright review um and no one had ever mentioned any problems to us and actually you'd think that as you were in this industry, it would be something that people would just mention, like, oh, have you, have you checked it? That's okay. So yeah. now we're, you know, completely, uh, you know, as compliant as, as I think we practically can be. But that's the sort of thing that no one ever told me about at school. Um, maybe that wasn't the right place. Um, the artists on our team apparently weren't ever told about it at university when they were doing their art degrees. And it wasn't something that when we were registering our business that was brought front and centre. So that was a really interesting challenge for us to navigate. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got away with it for a couple of years then, basically. <laughs> I think it is interesting starting a small business because actually there doesn't seem to be any resource that I've come across that really has the frequently asked questions, if you like, in one place. So often small businesses are learning the hard way. And mm. like you said, you... you got away with it for a couple of years and now now you know what you're talking about where where did you access support from i have no idea it wasn't in a centralized place no um and i found that a lot of the things that i tried to find out about about copyright actually were really american right okay. um so like there was a lot of stuff that i looked for that actually wasn't wasn't even immediately relevant yeah um, i think yeah, I, I don't know exactly where. Um, I think, you know, I, I think I looked recently again and, you know, gov.uk has got some stuff. But I think the bigger challenge is you don't know what you need to look for. You don't yes. know what you don't know. This is true. And it's not like, you know, every time that someone opens a business, someone from company's house gets in touch. There's always a checklist for you. And maybe that would be completely inappropriate also. Um, but I, th I think that's the stuff that's tricky. You don't know what you don't know. And actually solving things like that is, is just an enormous problem I, I honestly have no idea how you would get around it nor do i but i'm hoping that this podcast series is <laughs> yeah. going to be one of the ways in which people can help to anticipate some of the stuff that they don't know i mean the first thing everybody always asks me is well how do i register a limited company and things like that and that information is quite readily available mm. but like you say it's the it's the other bits and pieces that you you don't know so as a business then, do you, are you in touch much with other creative businesses? Do you find yourself part of a community? Not especially. Um, so that there are a couple of small businesses that we're friends with and yeah. um, that's really good. So um, Sam and Diana from MYO 
um, make your own. They've got a studio in in Borough. Um, and I'm good friends with them. And actually, I think we probably met them, I don't know, 2015 or 16. So for the last couple of years, we've had this, this friendship and we swap notes. Um, but I think beyond that, I think in the creative industries, if you're not a creative yourself, I think it feels a bit alien. Right. So, um, so for instance, myself and the other directors, Felissa and Ian, um, none of us come from an arts or creatives background. Um, and so actually I don't know how we would fit in or, or even whether we would be attracted to a creative community. Um, but no, we're not part of, you know, a small business network or anything like that. And I don't know if that's because we felt that we didn't need to or if we've not had time. And I think actually that's relevant to events, particularly. Um, a lot of businesses do work on nine to five still. Events businesses don't. So there's no good having a networking meeting at, you know, 7 p.m because well actually I'm running an event then um so like I think there are some barriers there that would have made it difficult for us but especially when we were first starting um you know when it was actually us running all of the events um but yeah no never never really network with small businesses um no no not really something that we've explored um I know you know there are there are memberships of certain groups but I've always found that the membership fees they charge are actually not realistic yeah so prohibitive to small businesses you think yeah prohibitive to small businesses like ours and i think you know every business will will have a very different financial setup but especially for events the margins are very narrow you know hospitality and leisure generally very very tiny margins and so you know whatever you can afford to pay yourself probably isn't enough to also buy a membership on top yeah. And I don't know if I was starting a, I don't know, a web design company, maybe my margins would be more comfortable and, you know, it'd be more appropriate for me. But for events in particular, it's not something that's I've ever considered affordable. Fair enough. This is going to be a bit of a difficult question, but how do you then as a small business, you say you plan for a number of potential outcomes for the events industry, hospital, you know, what, what your future is as a business in that industry? Where do you even start planning? What happens next? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I think that where we start planning and we do this every year and we review throughout the year, we have some long term objectives that we measure as our as our yardstick. So that's where we start with. We've got a clearer sense of where we want to end up within three to five years. So that's where we start from. Um, and then it is working backwards and approaching it. I mean, I've always found that the, the way that we do our planning is, is almost thematic. So, you know, there's the operational aspect that we break down, the marketing aspect, the financial aspect, we break them down into these thematic categories. But in terms of, of the planning, actually, I suppose it is as much imagining that's the challenge. So what we do is we do um, as much monitoring of what's developing with coronavirus as possible and then there is literally imagining how an event runs so we've got our standard agendas and itineraries for how an event runs but one of the exercises we did very recently was we went through what does the booking process look like or what could the booking process look like what information might we need um, and then run through an entire event in our heads of well, this is how we organise logistics before. This is how we might need to space people out. It's just a lot of drawing and imagining and writing lists and reviewing and reviewing. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very iterative. 
Yeah. Um, I think it would be much harder if it was one person doing it. I think that the discussion is how we, how we do it. Yeah, that's a good point. So people who are solo businesses or solopreneurs, as they're called, maybe should be thinking about teaming up with other people to help brainstorm I think, together. I think, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot to be said for running a business just by yourself, and actually you've got this clear vision, you know what to do. But, yeah, I think this is something, you know, ask for feedback often um, and listen to it properly, definitely. Um, yeah. I think also having people come from lots of different backgrounds, really yeah. important. Yeah. So, you know, Felissa um, comes from a health service management background. So actually, if you can manage a hospital, you can probably manage an offence business. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's like how, how many, uh, you know, medics per bed do you need and how much space do they need given different conditions? So actually, we're at an advantage there in that actually this sort of thinking about space is very relevant to hospital management. Yeah. And also to events, which actually, you know, my experience is, is not useful at all. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think. And this is something that I enjoyed particularly in my master's, um, you know, which was you know, political economy. So inherently interdisciplinary and that sort of hammered into me now. Look for things in different industries and see what you can learn there. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And in fact, because I work across a number of different industries, there'll be examples from, say, charities that I've worked in that are really relevant as solutions in the private sector and vice versa. So mm. don't poo-poo anything absolutely you know, haven't uh, engaged with so pop-up painting's been going for seven years now is that right yep seven mm. years i think we painted with over forty-five thousand people wow just over or just under two thousand events wow that's incredible so at what point i know for many small businesses and, and me being a small business myself the first few years can be quite difficult you're maybe not making a lot of money or maybe not making any profit so the dream is keeping you going for a while but at what point in that seven years did you and your co-founders breathe a little easier what was the tipping point where you thought we're really onto something here that's a really good question um i don't think we've ever breathed a little easier um <laughs> okay because at what, so i think uh, sort of as, as a tangent to that there was a point where I enjoyed it a lot more right the first month is really fun it's like oh full of ideas and then you are just slowly growing and there are a lot of it's repetitive especially with events I think um and it's hard you know there is no it's it's not difficult running an event but it's hard work you know you're doing the same thing over and over again but it is laborious sure. um, but um, so, yeah, there, I think in the first two or three years, you know, we were only, you know, doing, I don't know, 20 events a month. You know, it wasn't wasn't amazing. You know, we were only in London. I was running almost all of the events anyway. I didn't do it and think, wow, this is great. I love this. There were definitely moments where I thought, oh, I hate this. I'm trapped. And I think that's something that and I think we still get those feelings of, of feeling trapped. And I think that's something we need to be honest about. And I think is really relevant to people in small businesses, especially if you're thinking of starting one. The feeling of being trapped can be a really difficult thing to deal with. Interesting. But then around, I'd say, 2017, so almost four years in, we got some, I mean, they weren't lucky breaks because they were the consequence of four years of hard work. Yeah. So we got a feature in the BBC. Amazing. Which was 
transformative and we opened up in Manchester and Birmingham and we had a, a bigger team and we had an office which opened in 2015 actually um, so around 2017 you got that recognition and you know they might be vanity things but they still give you a pat on the back which That's actually cool. you don't get a lot of pats on the back when you're your own boss um, and then I think so one of the things that also changed for me was um, end of 2018 we moved into a nicer office and actually that started to feel like even though it was a vanity and a status thing and we've got to be really cautious of that I thought okay this is going in the right direction um, so those were the things that they didn't ever lead to a sigh of relief because there were just new problems that were bigger problems sure. but you felt like you had something to show for it and that uh, yeah this is a real business now um, so that that would be yeah no size of relief but pats on the back for the first time sure and so how did you how did the bbc hear about you because there'll be loads of small businesses out there who were thinking yeah well we'd love to be recognized by a big famous global institution do you know or so i mean i think it was through a friend um right okay it was just lucky and actually, I think this is something that I've tried to to remember. So it was my friend Jenny, actually, who um, had come to an event, um, I think earlier that year, maybe in the summer, and she tweeted a picture about it. And one of her followers um, called Thorin, who is a pharmacist, who is enormously interesting, um, she liked it and said, oh, well, when this comes to Manchester, I really want to join. And she followed a journalist who asked about, you know, do you know anyone who's doing anything creative? Wow. So he tagged us in it and in that tweet and connected us. Um, wow. so actually, that was something I couldn't plan. And I think we were lucky in that we'd made some friends who championed us. And I think that's something that I, I think is something I'd obviously like to do more, but that I've, I think I've recognised over the last couple of years, especially since that, that actually being able to champion your friends doing things really matters. So important. And I think especially, you know, I think, you know, so we met through a general election campaign. Yeah. You know, actually having a friend who you champion as a candidate as well, actually, I think that sows that into you even more. Yeah. So that's, that was a, a that's been a reflective thing for me. So yeah, the, the BBC thing, you know, was just luck in many ways. Um, well, you say that, but I think there is something about word of mouth. And I think, yes, for small businesses, their friends and families are a really important way of getting the word out. But Actually, if you're doing, if what you have is a great product or a service, then people are more inclined to talk about it. And mm. that you were doing the brand building constantly anyway. So there is a bit of that kind of luck meet, meeting hard yeah. work versus opportunity, whatever the formula mm -hmm. is. But yeah, no, that's great. It's the, you need that as the tipping point, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. In the last few minutes that we've got together, I wanted to focus on something positive we're in pride month at the moment yeah. so i wanted just to hear from you your perspective on pride month how pop-up paintings getting involved and anything else that you think uh, you want to say about it really so pride month i think is it is important i think being visible matters um and i think you know complacency over any civil rights is is wrong-headed we should always be on the lookout um, and I think being visible is part of that so um, we every month or every year try to do something even if it is just like a little video or a special event you know it's a different thing each year but this year what we are doing we are working on two things 
Um, so uh, first of all, we have got a, a fundraising games night at the end of the month, the last Monday of June. Um, so uh, there's a follow-up of the fundraising that we did last month. So last month we raised £590 for Refuge, Bernardo's and NHS charities together. Wow. This month we're fundraising for the National AIDS Trust, um, who we try and help out as much as we can. We've got a good relationship with them. The Albert Kennedy Trust and also um, UK Black Pride. So we've got a fundraiser at the end of the month where we want to raise £590 for them. Um, and the other thing that we're working on but isn't yet finished, uh, isn't yet published, is we want to do a speed dating night. So, you know, this is partly in the context of, you know, online events, there's some fatigue around them. You know, it's, you know, if you can be outside, be outside. But also I think for a lot of people, dating is really hard during lockdown and meeting new people is really hard. So we're trying to, or we've, we've come up with something, um, uh, a speed dating night that is still themed around one of our events. Um, and we're going to aim it at women who are looking to meet other women. So that's partly because actually our audience are like 90% women anyway. Yeah. Um, but also I think particularly for, for LGBT people, dating is quite, is difficult. You know, meeting other LGBT people is, is difficult. And I think especially, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of this as, you know, a, a gay man. Um, gay men dominate everything um, in LGBT <laughs> stuff. So an event that isn't aimed at them feels interesting. Yeah. So uh, we are going to do a dating night at the end of the month. Um, which we've never done before. We've, we've, we've done a couple of dating events in the past, but um, not in this format. So um, yeah, that's what we're looking to do for Pride Month. Okay, so let's just, so just give us the dates of those. So the, um, the fundraiser yeah. is going to be the, uh, the last Monday of June, which I believe is the 29th. It's the okay. 29th. Yeah. Um, the speed dating night is still to be confirmed, but we hope to have it in the diary in the next few days. Okay. And so if people want to look up pop-up painting, how do they get in touch with you? So, go to find out? So it's all at popuppainting.com and all of our apps are at pop-up painting on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Brilliant. Gareth, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, we will catch up soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to the My Small Business Life podcast produced by Tigris Management. For more information, visit tigrismanagement.com. With special thanks to Gareth Shelton of Pop-Up Painting.